Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Dude, you sold all our stuff for cash? Cash? (laughs) Why would a leprechaun want cash? I traded it for gold! He's been overtaken by the leprechaun's lust for gold. Hmm, yes, or shiny, shiny. But you can't have any. It's mine, all mine! We don't want your gold, fool. Well, you should. I'm getting us back on the gold standard. What is exactly this golden standard? It's the monetary system where paper money got value directly related to gold, you dummies. You tell me a dollar is worth 25 and 8 tenths grains of gold, we all know what's what. But that dirty President Nixon back in 71 unilaterally took the entire country off the standard. And ever since then, we've been based on the dollar value on a freely floating exchange rate. Ah! The money ain't tied to a specific item of value, and it's all make-believe numbers and market manipulations. But now, me and my gold will be safe from financial ruin. How you like that, President Nixon? Ah, back on the standard, baby! Beast Boy has escaped over the rainbow and into the Federal Reserve Bank of Jump City. <gasps> he truly is attempting to restore the gold standard. Not on my watch. You know, even when children's shows are talking about 1971, the gold standard, Nixon, free-floating markets, market manipulation, paper money that's not tied to anything, that's when you know we may have crossed the Rubicon. Guys, that was uh, that was a television show that's called Teen Titans Go. Uh, <laughs> I saw this with my kids. As, you know, they like to watch this when they're uh, kind of eating their breakfast uh, before school. And I'm watching this thing and my mouth is literally hanging open because not only are they talking about it, they're not exactly getting it wrong. And I'm not talking about, you know, going out and buying gold. I, I don't have a problem with gold. I, I would have thought it would be even funnier if they said that they were talking about Bitcoin. But in either event, this is a this is a children's show. This is not, you know, built for adults to sit around and, you know, and watch, right? So this is a message that my children got ingrained in them while they were watching breakfast or uh, eating breakfast and, you know, before school. So I, you know, I don't, I'm honestly kind of shocked. I really am. Cause that's sort of like, kind of like that's, that's red pill and some, some kids. So I don't know what you guys think about that or, you know, or not. I find it rather, rather heartening to be quite honest. And also, um, that's a, if you do have kids, Teen Titans Go is actually pretty funny. It's, it's, 
it's enjoyable to watch for parents as well as kids, but you're not going to sit down and watch it by yourself. This is something that you can enjoy with your kids. It generally speaking, I have, I have yet to see anything that's like really, really questionable about, you know, morals and ethics and any kind of, any kind of weirdness and woke shit. So, uh, if you're looking for something, uh, I think we're watching this on Hulu, just so you know. Anyway, welcome to 8.13 a.m. Central Standard Time on the 10th of March, 2022. This is episode 559 of Bitcoin, and let's just go ahead and begin. Oh, actually, you know, here's where I want to begin. Um, I told you about selling some comfrey cuttings, some root cuttings, uh, for propagation to a gentleman on uh, one of my uh, gentleman uh, compatriots on Bitcoin Twitter. And again, I'm not going to be doxing that person, but um, I wrapped up all the, the roots, all the cuttings and whatnot, and sent them via UPS uh, to this person. And the deal, the deal is a hundred bucks, hundred USD. And I sent, uh, sent this gentleman an invoice and like a paper and well, not a mail paper invoice of, you know, like a, a regular old fashioned invoice that you would get, you know, pre Bitcoin times, what, what was bought, how much addresses, you know, whatnot like that, sent that as a PDF through mail. And then I also sent an on-chain from, this is directly from my lightning node and I'm using Thunderhub. I sent a QR code that represented an on-chain transaction. So should he choose to use that? I also sent a lightning invoice for what was a hundred bucks last night, which now I got less sats because we've, we've gone back down to 38, $39,000. So that's kind of funny. It was like 255 uh, thousand sats or yeah, 255,000, uh, that I, I can't remember exactly what it was. It was like, uh, I can't remember. I got less sats by the time that, by the time that he was able to pay or by the time that invoice was cut, uh, it was cut. Oh, that's what it was. It was cut for like, like 255,000 and I got 244. So I can't remember exactly how it worked, but it still doesn't matter because whenever it was said, it was basically, you know, a shit ton of sats. It went to my lightning node. I got paid directly to my lightning node via the lightning network. He chose not to use the on-chain uh, transaction, chose to use lightning and it worked. And apparently it worked fine because he gave me a message. Uh, I f saw the message this morning from last night where he said, sent it's good. And I'm like, and I, I look in my, th I'm using Thunderhub for my uh, access or my interface to lightning node. And sure as shit, there it was in all of its glory there with no problems. I, he mentioned that he had no problem sending it. I did not see any problems on my side. It's settled and everything is now locked into my lightning node. So I got KYC, uh, KYC free sats. The lightning node functioned admirably, if not above <clears throat> my expectations, because that was quite a bit of liquidity. It also proved that my node has enough liquidity in and out to be able to take such, such a larger payment and that lightning has really grown up because the people, you know, when we first started getting into to the lightning network, you know, it was kind of difficult to send, you know, a few bucks. 
because there was just no liquidity. Now, he bounced, you know, I don't know, I didn't track the route or anything like that, but I'm assuming that he wasn't able to get directly, you know, directly to my node because we don't have channels open with each other. And, um, and it, he at least went through, you know, one other node. And so that node had liquidity. Now I've got even more liquidity in my node and it's KYC free Satoshis. So for those of, for those people that are saying that lightning cannot work, that lightning does not scale and all that, it's no, no, at least not for a hundred bucks. When we start getting into the thousands, yeah, that's, but we're going to end up, I mean, liquidity is going to be gained. And as the price of Bitcoin goes up against the USD, it's, we're going to be able to send more value, you know, or at least the same amount of sats. It's going to represent more USD, but you know, I, I just kind of got stuck there thinking, is it really more value? I'm not sure. I'm getting to the point where I can really only think in, in Satoshis and Bitcoin at this point. So just saying, I just want to let, get that out there. And, uh, oh, by the way, thank you for your payment that who, whom that, which I will not name because I just don't want to dox the person. Now, Joseph Hall, who I will dox because he's writing this for Cointelegraph. Honey, I orange pilled the kids, BTC children's authors on learning about money. Uh, Bitcoin is for everyone. That includes teenagers, children, toddlers, even newborns. When these kids grow up, they'll use the Bitcoin protocol, so it just makes sense to start to integrate Bitcoin into learning as early as possible. At least, that's according to Scott Sibley, one half of the couple behind the creation of the Shamari Bitcoin game and the Goodnight Bitcoin children's bedtime book. He joins a growing list of Bitcoin children book authors who care deeply about educating children on Bitcoin and money. Sibley and his wife are firm believers that kids can learn much faster and earlier than most people think. It's one of the reasons why they wrote the Bitcoin Bedtime Story, a tale for infants that riffs on the plethora of goodnight books, you know, goodnight moon, goodnight baseball, etc., etc. Incidentally, it also serves as a nice primer for their semi-educational game about Bitcoin mining, which is Shamari. The Sibleys noticed there's a product and content gap when it comes to fun ways for kids and adults to learn about Bitcoin and are bringing educational content that extends beyond the podcast, books, and long-form essays, which Bitcoiners usually gorge themselves upon. Quote, financial education that includes Bitcoin is something that kids aren't going to receive in most traditional schools. So right now, it's on Bitcoin parents to find ways to weave that education in at home. Chris and Frida Babe are the brains behind Bitcoin for Kiddos, the story of Bitcoin. They're another couple passionate, passionate keen <laughs> to keep, uh, I'm going to do this again. They're another couple passionate keen to impart knowledge into children about money early so that they will have the best opportunity to recognize it uncorruptible money when they see it. They told Cointelegraph, quote, we wanted to expose our kids early to Bitcoin and broader concepts of money early so they are more comfortable using the technology and talking about it when they are older, end quote. They add that money for most adults is a taboo subject, but it doesn't have to be. In educating children about Bitcoin and inherently money with books, it breaks down social barriers, unlocking an incredible learning experience for the whole family. Michael Karras, a.k.a. the Bitcoin Rabbi, author of Bitcoin Money, A Tale of Bitville Discovering Good Money, 
compliments the other author's musings about children in finance. He told Cointelegraph, it's important that children learn about working for money, saving, spending responsibly, and also giving to charity. He notes the unintended advantage of teaching children about Bitcoin. It's an intro for adults too. Sibley explains, quote, kids as well as adults will still be better off in the sense that we all have been exposed to and learned about money, where it comes from and what makes it valuable, etc., etc. Sibley adds, quote, these are all questions about money that most people probably go their entire life without thinking or learning about, end quote. Furthermore, given that children don't have all the base biases that adults have, they might approach the decentralized monetary network with an open mind. The Bitcoin rabbi expands the idea, sharing children understanding the digital aspect of Bitcoin because they have or they are digitally native. Quote, not having preconceived notions about how traditional money and banks make it easier for them to see Bitcoin as real money. End quote. Ultimately, not only do the Bitcoin children's books subtly teach kids and their parents about Bitcoin, orange pilling them along the way, they also help break down an enduring taboo. Talking about money. All right, now this is this is kind of critical for you know for me to impart here is that it's not just orange pilling kids about Bitcoin and its relationship as money. It's relationship to them, to us, to me, to you as money. I think it's also critical to start writing children's book about how Bitcoin works. And we have a lot of books about eh, Bitcoin as money, what Bitcoin is as it relates money to us. But I would like to see a whole bunch more children's books about the inner workings, the the logical design of Bitcoin, if that's even possible. And I know that's that's a kind of a tall order. But the reason I say that it's critical is this. We hold dear certain aspects and truths about Bitcoin. The 21 million Bitcoin cap, the 10 minute block time, the uh, how that relates to its emissions protocols, that kind of thing. It's also important for them to understand that this should be held inviolable, that we cannot change this. There will be people who come along that will fork. We've seen it before. They'll fork the network. They'll put like, you know, a new limit on it. They'll call it the new Bitcoin. And it's going to be up to us to impart to our children how to recognize the real Bitcoin. And we can recognize the real Bitcoin by what it is right now and all the basic protocol rules that we follow. That's how you recognize the real Bitcoin. So the question becomes, how can we impart that to our kids? How will our children impart that to their children so that they can always truly recognize that which can be forked? I'm just saying, I think this is important to get out and start talking about. I don't have that answer. You know, I'm looking to people like Scott Sibley. I'm looking to people like the Bitcoin rabbi. I'm looking to those people to be able to write how to recognize actual Bitcoin. Let's move on. Bitcoin Magazine, Miles Brooks, a Bitcoin tax reporting nightmare is coming in 2023. 
You spend weeks poring over your transaction history, trying to make sure that your tax return is accurate. Despite your best efforts, you end up getting a warning letter from the IRS saying that you owe thousands of dollars in unpaid taxes. It might sound like a bad dream, but just a couple of years ago, this nightmare scenario actually happened to thousands of cryptocurrency investors. And because of short-sighted regulations drafted hastily by American politicians, it's likely to happen again in the near future, but on a much larger scale. Form 1099-K, a short history. In the past, there were no clear guidelines dictating what tax forms Bitcoin exchanges were required to send to their customers. As a result, different exchanges chose different approaches to tax reporting. Coinbase and other exchanges chose to send Form 1099-K to customers if customers hit a certain threshold of trade value and number of trades. Of course, there was a problem. These forms were designed to be used by credit card companies and not cryptocurrency exchanges. As a result, all of the traders' transactions, even the ones that were non-taxable, were, were reported on that form. This ended up causing a nightmare for taxpayers as the IRS was being notified that certain taxpayers transacted with hundreds of thousands of dollars of cryptocurrency. The IRS ended up sending thousands of warning letters to investors, many of whom had gone through painstaking efforts to accurately, accurately report their taxes. And to their credit, large exchanges seem to have learned from their mistakes. Because of the confusion that these forms caused, Coinbase and Gemini have since stopped issuing them to customers. Unfortunately, it doesn't appear that the federal government learned the same damn lesson. In the near future, taxpayers are going to run into an even bigger tax reporting issue. And this time, it won't just be a few thousand people who receive 1099Ks. Because of the 2021 infrastructure bill, these issues will now impact every investor trading and transacting with Bitcoin. While the infrastructure bill didn't change how Bitcoin is taxed, it did change what Bitcoin brokers like Coinbase or Binance are required to report. Just like stockbrokers, they'll be required to issue 1099-B forms to customers and the IRS. At face value, this may seem like a positive development for the ecosystem. Since exchanges will have clear requirements for what tax forms to send customers, we might avoid issues stemming from a lack of regulatory clarity. Unfortunately, a closer look at the situation shows that this bill likely presents more problems than solutions. While exchanges will be required to report the total amount of fiat you made or the proceeds from Bitcoin trades, they won't know how customers originally got their coins or how much money they invested, i.e. the cost basis. Since transferring Bitcoin between wallets and exchanges is so common, it's likely that we'll see tax reporting problems. For example, imagine that you transfer your money from your personal wallet to Coinbase and from, or from Binance to Coinbase, and then you sell your Bitcoin for $50,000. In both of these situations, Coinbase won't know your original cost basis. However, Coinbase will still be required to file Form 1099-B with the IRS. On Form 1099-B, it's likely that Coinbase will report the proceeds from your trades, but will either leave the basis blank or put unknown. So if you sell your Bitcoin for $50,000, the IRS might hold you responsible for $50,000 worth of gains, even if you originally bought your coins for $40,000, i.e. a $10,000 profit. There, <clears throat> these are the same issues that accompanied 1099K in previous years. Again, this will likely lead to Bitcoin investors receiving warning letters about their unpaid tax liability, even when they accurately filed their tax returns. 
Because of the infrastructure bill, taxpayers will be required to keep detailed records on all of their cryptocurrency purchases and transfers. If these records aren't kept, the IRS will likely require all proceeds made from cryptocurrency disposals to be picked up as income in the case of an audit. Some investors have trouble understanding why 1099B would cause such a major issue. After all, stockbrokers like Robinhood and E-Trade are already required to issue these forms to customers. Still, the vast majority of stock traders are able to easily report their gains and losses during tax season. It's important to remember that Bitcoin is fundamentally different from stocks and securities. Bitcoin is designed to be easily transferable, whether you are sending it to a friend or family member, holding it on a cold wallet, or trading it on a decentralized exchange. While stockbrokers can easily share information with one another about transfers and disposals, it's hard to see how cold wallets and decentralized entities can do the same. Unfortunately, the infrastructure bill seems to be ignoring the differences between cryptocurrencies and equities. It's disappointing to see that the United States has attempted to regulate the new financial system with the same rules that govern the old one. In doing so, Regulators completely ignored the benefits that decentralization could bring to Americans all across the country. The infrastructure bill won't have a negative impact on companies like Coinbase and Kraken. Instead, it will hurt Bitcoin investors who store their holdings on cold wallets and wish to opt out of the predatory financial system. Now, it's likely that their tax reporting will become more difficult and complex than ever before. So, you guys... You know, be aware that this is going on. It's nothing to just immediately tear your hair out and start running for the hills or anything like that, but it is definitely something that we're going to have to start watching for. And guess what? This is the edge effect. I, I guarantee you, this is this is exactly what I talk about all the time, the edge effect. Bitcoiners, this is where we rub up against the legacy financial system in a different way than, I don't know, selling coffee or you know, uh, donating to a cause or anything like that. Now we have an edge effect. And once you have edge effect, once you have one system rubbing up against another system, in that narrow band where those systems overlap is where opportunity is. And the opportunities here are people that really understand tax law and really understand Bitcoin and open up brand new styles of certified public accountancy. And, and make money from it and make a living from it. That's okay. I mean, we, we all got to, you know, we got to do a job. We got to do something that, that, you know, brings in some kind of income that we can, you know, trade other people for food, uh, housing, bills, you know, shit like that. So uh, I don't have a problem with somebody building these companies, but that's where companies are going to start being built in this particular fashion is this rubbing up, this friction between what we do and what legacy financial and regulations do. So if you have that fundamental knowledge of how to analyze Bitcoin transactions and you want to sell your services privately to somebody else who needs help understanding how to report this on taxes and you also understand the legacy tax system, there's an opportunity at that edge. And that's what edge effect is all about. All right, let's move on now. Uh, again, from Bitcoin Magazine, Bitcoin, the people and the tragedy of Afghanistan. Mike Hobart is writing this one. So we all remember the absolute abysmal tragedy that was the United States withdrawal from the Afghan theater, right? And I place emphasis on the word tragedy here to keep in line with pandemic ethics scholar, Dr. Julie 
Ponesse's clarification during a recent discussion with John Vallis of the word, using it to describe a negative outcome that was brought about by the protagonist's own actions, the protagonist in this case being the United States. But what you may not know is that the United States, after leaving Afghanistan in a truly tragic position, followed up these activities not by working to make amends, but by freezing and then announcing designs to seize assets held by the country's central bank with half of the funds planned for victims of the 9-11 attacks. Why would funds be going to the victims' families now, 21 years after the event? And why would these funds be supplied by stealing from the country of Afghanistan when the hijackers involved in this primarily originated from Saudi Arabia? Not to mention the fact that this activity by the United States only compounds the calamity that the people of Afghanistan now find themselves in. This series of actions gives visibility to the real power of Bitcoin on the global geopolitical landscape. Why should any government have the power to seize a nation's worth? What happens to the innocent citizens who live within their borders? It's surely not the politicians who are footing the bill for these actions. It is the people. Quote, I came across the news articles regarding it and couldn't believe it. People at the mercy of centralized banking and inept politicians could not be a better reason for Bitcoin's existence. As an American, it should be concerning that Biden can casually do such things and with such boldness as if it were the righteous thing to do. Oh, God, it's the right thing to do because the implications are profoundly serious. Given the current socioeconomic climate, the bar for enacting overreaching policies has lowered to a professional limbo contest of sorts, says Bitcoin community member Okada in an interview. The people are the ones who always end up paying for these decisions. Just like with inflation and liberal monetary and fiscal policies, the average citizens, those aiming to simply live their lives, raise their families, get crushed by these blunders in thinking. The crushing of the Afghanistan people and those in similar positions globally has not been immediate, like we may not expect or prepare for in a war. This crushing is more reminiscent of a certain trash compactor from a particular sci-fi favorite located on a detention level being expressed in bank accounts, wallets, and empty stomachs. This is a slow, sapping, and agonizing squeezing of a populace. Whether it's a suffocation by illegal theft of your country's funds or via inflation and cost of living, it's a reality that has been allowed to propagate thanks to the fraudulent system of Keynesian economics. What could be avoided if more countries like Afghanistan and more citizens across the globe had even a portion of their wealth stored in Bitcoin? What kinds of freedom can be experienced by our geographically dislocated neighbors when even a small portion of their wealth is free from this immediate clutches of the fiat state? These are the blunders in cognition, decision-making, and abuses of power that should not be afforded to any one government, organization, company, or individual via authoritarian controls over money. These are just... These are the justifications that continue to wash across the world like a flood, where instead of Noah, Bitcoin provides the ark. These developments are also a flood that shines a light on the conversation that needs to be had around a state or federation, having so much power unchecked over financial tools, especially having tools and authority that extend to oversight over other sovereign nations. 
not to mention questions around where the reach of these financial tools and strategies of seemingly infinite power with ramifications extending from the individual heads of state to the average citizens of an entire nation. Tyrannical power over the livelihoods of geographically distanced parties is what pushed a community of colonies on the American continent to band together and produce a declaration of independence from their presiding power. And, unfortunately, it feels as if we are in a similar position today, calling for the creation of a declaration of monetary independence. The seizure of Afghanistan's bank funds by the Biden administration is throwing gasoline on a fire that is already raging in that nation as well as its region. Afghanistan, Egypt, much of the Middle East finds itself in the midst of a food crisis. Across the Middle East, there have been reports coming through of water shortages as rivers such as the Euphrates in Turkey and the Sirwan in Iraq and lakes drying up across the region. The problem is that these crises are the result of a cacophony of issues that include natural climate shifts, the folly that is modern industrialization, industrialized farming practices and decisions made by neighboring countries as well as trade partners, such as implications of diverting water from a neighbor. This strain on food supplies is also being felt around the world. Quote, world wheat prices increased by 2.1% largely reflecting new global supply uncertainties amidst disruptions in the Black Sea region that could potentially hinder exports from Ukraine and the Russian Federation, two major wheat exporters. Coarse grain export prices also rose by 4.7%. World maize prices increased by 5.1% month on month, underpinning by a combination of continued crop condition concerns in Argentina and Brazil, rising wheat prices, and uncertainty regarding maize exports from Ukraine, a major exporter, end quote. The FAO Food Price Index in their uh, March 3rd, 2022 report. To make matters worse, while the United States seized a sizable portion of Afghanistan's wealth and while the region is already suffering from droughts that are agitating a taxed nation of people, the war between Ukraine and Russia is pushing the cost of commodities such as wheat and corn through the roof while causing the price for fertilizers to also rise. These are glaring examples of how the fraudulent fiat system gets to use the supply the world, oh, sorry, um, these are glaring examples of how the fraudulent fiat system gets used to supply the world with false ideals, fake foods, forced wars. Fake foods sold to us as cheap solutions under false pretenses of being, quote, better for the environment are paid for by manipulating a population into a bloodlust for a war that under normal circumstances we likely wouldn't have wanted to begin with, while serving to engorge those at the top while siphoning from the citizenry at the bottom. Bitcoin stands alone with the intent to even out this mismatch. Many will argue that the elite powers that Bitcoin claims to disrupt are those that stand most capable of purchasing up the supply of Bitcoin, and they may be correct, but only partially. Bitcoin still, to this day, is discounted by many of these types as a Ponzi or a vehicle for gambling and nothing more. While these wealthy individuals, hedge funds, and small nations are only just beginning to see the light, the fact that average citizens can purchase even 1% of a single Bitcoin, the hardest asset that humanity has ever known, is a blessing. Set aside your unit biases, your thinking that you need to own either all of something or none of it. 
How nihilistic do you need to be to believe that you have to own a whole Bitcoin versus owning 1% of an asset that can be broken into 100 million pieces? And that stands to challenge the entire economic and financial system of a whole planet. Get an amount that you can afford to lose without having an impact on your day-to-day -day life. Get a hardware wallet, secure your passphrase, then get it off of the exchange or exchanges that you used. Uh, so he's echoing what I was ranting about yesterday is that it's the citizenry that gets hurt the most. I was talking to my sister about this shit yesterday too on the phone after the show. And it's, it's just, it's heinous to watch this occur. And it's seemingly in, in, a, in a world where we don't have any tools at our disposal to be able to do anything about these people. But yet, yet we do. We really do have a tool. And it's, it's not just a tool. It can be a weapon. It can be a safe haven. It can be anything you want it to be. The emergent properties of Bitcoin are honestly, in my opinion, everlasting and infinite. We will always find a solution inside this protocol because this protocol is so deadly simple. When you get something that is really elegant and, you know, stuffed with a bunch of shit and it starts looking like a Rube Goldberg machine, your ability to fashion things that are very useful without being corrupted become more and more limited the more and more elegant something becomes. And I use the term elegant to basically mean adding more and more detail. Some people use elegant in a different way. Bitcoin, in my opinion, is not elegant. It is dead simple. And that simplicity lends itself to so much more than we could have possibly imagined. And right now, it's time to run the numbers. All right, it seems to have been a slight cooling off period uh, overnight, but uh, energy futures are back up this morning. 4.5% to the upside for West Texas Intermediate to $113.65. Brent North Sea up five and a quarter to $116.96. Natural gas is up almost a full point to $4.56 per thousand cubic feet. And gasoline up 2% to $3.36 per gallon. So hopefully we'll see some relief, you know, short term at the pumps. Gold is up 1.12% to $10 over 2,000. Uh, silver is up 2.11% to $26.36. Platinum is up scant. Copper is up 1.7. Palladium is up 0.6. Agricultural futures are mixed. The biggest winner today is sugar. Biggest loser today is coffee. Both are up and down over 2% respectively. Uh, Dow futures, uh, let's see, 1% to the downside for the Dow. S&P is 1% down. NASDAQ is 1.5% down. And the S&P mini is down one and one third. Real money also took a hit, $39,016, or $39,016, excuse me. 266,000 transactions in the last 24 hours is 11,100 transactions every hour. With 1.12 million BTC being sent in that period, that's 46,823 BTC sent every hour on the hour. Average transaction value of those is 4.22 BTC and the median transaction value is 0.016 BTC or 629 bucks. Block times are slightly high, 10 minutes, 17 seconds. 
0.08 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 12.3 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. Devil number minus 6.66% to the downside uh, brings hash rate down to 191 exahashes per second. Shitcoin indicator is Doge as usual, 11.7 United States pennies. 8,800 transactions are waiting on five blocks to clear. We have $743.6 billion of market capitalization, which is 5.63% of gold's entire market capitalization. And if you so choose, you may purchase 19.5 ounces of shiny metal rock with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,979,333.6 of, and 3,500 of those are locked in the Lightning Network, valued at $137.1 million, being run over 20,111 nodes that we know about, sporting 85,627 seemingly public payment channels, and 75.7% of all of it being run over the 11,636 Tor nodes that we know about. And that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. We have some uh, salience that we need to get on this whole uh, Biden uh, executive order thing. And Sean Amick was good enough to do a write-up for Bitcoin Magazine about it. Let's go. U.S. President Joe Biden signed executive order on Wednesday that actively calls for policy on Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, as well as urgent action towards developing a CBDC. Yeah. Yep, you heard it. The order outlines a whole-of-government approach where a significant amount of regulatory agencies are called to collaborate in the research and development of digital assets and related regulations. Quote, my administration places the highest urgency on research and development efforts into the potential design and development options of a United States CBDC. God, I... Ugh. Anyway... Any future dollar payment system should be designed in a way that is consistent with United States priorities, end quote. Most regulatory agencies were given time frames ranging from 120 days to one year, most often a 180 days range for providing their reports on how Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies operate within the economy, how to regulate them, and how to prevent their illicit use. The executive order gives a 210-day deadline specifically for a proposal regarding CBDC development. Honing in on illicit use of cryptocurrency, the order seeks to properly regulate stablecoins and other digital payment methods that could break traditional barriers. Quote, the International Financial Stability Board, together with standard-setting bodies, is leading work on issues related to stablecoins cross-border fund transfers and payments, and other international dimensions of digital assets and payments, while the Financial Action Task Force continues its leadership in setting AML-CFT uh, standards for digital assets per the order text. Now, that's any money laundering combating the financing of terrorism stuff. Oh, my God. Financial Action Task Force should have nothing at all to do with the United States of America or any country. They are unelected officials. Please keep that in mind. Uh, they do not pass laws. They pass recommendations. The order uh, 
directs the Department of the Treasury, along with the Financial Stability Oversight Council, Securities and Exchange Commission, Federal Trade Commission, Commodities Futures Trading Commission, federal banking agencies, and the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau to develop policy for Bitcoin and cryptocurrency as a means to protect individuals from systemic financial risks and to combat the illicit use of digital assets. Quote, we must mitigate the illicit finance and national security risks posed by the misuse of digital assets, states the executive order. On the subject of national security, the order argues that a non-state currency can be used as a tool to circumvent United States and foreign financial sanctions regimes and other tools and authorities. Focusing on consensus mechanics that utilize energy, quote, connections between distributed ledger technology and short, medium, and long-term economic and energy transitions are meant to be researched and reported on with a 180-day deadline. Quote, the report should also address the effects of cryptocurrencies' consensus mechanisms on energy usage, including research into potential mitigating or uh, well, yeah, mitigating measures and alternative mechanics of consensus and the design trade-offs those may entail, the executive order said. Senator Cynthia Lummis, a pronounced Bitcoin advocate, released a statement on the order saying, quote, while I agree with the president's desire to combat money laundering and defend America's national security, I think his executive order misses the fact that the overwhelming majority of digital asset users are law abiding and trying to make our financial system better. That's the end of the article, but that's, you know, that the executive order has nothing to do with, with, they, they could give a rat's ass about whether or not Americans are doing whatever it is that we can as citizens to make the financial system better because that does not work in their favor. They are crooks. They are thieves. And honestly, I'd like to see them all out in the wind to twist. I'm, I, I hate to say it, but that's, I, I don't see any value in these, in these people as part of humanity any longer. I think that they have been wanting to detach themselves from humanity. I think that they have very much done a great part of that because the things that they do is not the things that a a human that walks upon the earth that looks at flowers and falls in love does is it no these people are evil every single one of them every single one do not trust them do not listen to them and at all points do not respect them they deserve none of your time, none of your money, none of your respect. It's amazing that we keep getting screwed like this, honestly. Now, inflation, speaking of getting screwed, inflation tracked by Bitcoiners keeps accelerating and it hasn't even peaked. We're not at peak inflation yet, bro. Brian Evans, Coindesk. The United States inflation probably accelerated last month to a new four-decade high, showing the intensity of upward pressure on consumer prices even before Russia's war on Ukraine sent commodity prices from oil to wheat soaring, according to a Bloomberg report. The Consumer Price Index, due out from the Labor Department's Bureau of Labor Statistics at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time on Thursday, is expected to show that the inflation rate was 0.8% in February or 8% 
over the past 12 months. That would be the highest level since 1982 and faster than the 0.6% monthly clip reported for January. Pausing here to say, indeed, those numbers did come out and they uh, clocked in at 7.9%, which has set yet another all-time high for four decades. Continuing, Bitcoin traders are likely to monitor the index since the largest cryptocurrency is seen by some investors as a hedge against said inflation. There's also a view that Bitcoin's price sometimes reacts to Federal Reserve decisions on monetary policy, and a key mandate for the United States Central Bank is to assure price stability. Many analysts are still bullish on Bitcoin, but the cryptocurrency isn't performing as the hedge against inflation that they expected. Bitcoin is down 8% since the start of 2022 after reaching its all-time high of 69000 in November of 2021. Quote, Bitcoin and crypto in general will remain tied to the news out of Ukraine and continue to trade broadly in a risk-off slash-on fashion, said Richard Usher, head of over-the-counter trading at BCB Group. Quote, we feel that the CPI report on Thursday will prove to be a side event to the Russian-Ukraine situation. Of course, that's... That's just par for the course. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell said last week he supported a 0.25 percentage point increase in short-term interest rates, which would be the first hike since 2018. The Fed has become more dovish in recent weeks as the Russian-Ukraine conflict drags on and adds concern about global oil supplies and price pressures. Uh, Bitcoin has underperformed gold in 2022 as Russia's invasion of Ukraine sent many investors in traditional markets searching for the yellow metal long seen as a safe haven asset. The cryptocurrency was changing hands at 41900 at press time, down 8.9% on the year. Richard Moody, Senior Vice President and Chief Economist at Regions Financial, wrote in a report that he expects inflation will continue to rise in the coming months. Quote, we and most others had thought we'd seen inflation peak with either the February or March data, Moody said, with oil prices clearing 120 bucks per barrel due to the cutoff of Russian supplies. Moody expects, quote, further pass through to retail gasoline prices in the weeks ahead, end quote. The average or the national average price at the pump for regular unleaded gasoline has soared to a record $4.25 per gallon uh, that's up from $2.79 a year ago. Core consumer prices, which exclude volatile food and energy metrics, are expected to have risen 0.5% in February, according to Douglas Porter, chief economist at BMO Capital Markets. Porter said he's watching to see if inflation is seeping into other categories like services, which aren't driven by supply chain constraints. All right, so there you go. Yeah, inflation did, in fact, hit 7.9% as of the numbers this morning, or at least those are the numbers that were reported on National Public Radio, which I do monitor because, like all good citizens, you should always monitor enemy transmissions. Uh, gas heater broke down. I'll just heat my caravan with a Bitcoin miner, and this is how I can probably tell that Joseph Hall is European. We call them RVs. Over in Europe, they call them caravans. Either way, he's writing for Cointelegraph. Michael Schmidt first made contact with Bitcoin in 2013. He installed Bitcoin Core, mined a few BTC. Then he bought some from Mt. Gox. Schmidt told Cointelegraph that shortly after the infamous Mt. Gox hack in which Schmidt lost his Bitcoin, he also, quote, lost interest. Time warp to 2020, and Schmidt got very active again as concerns about the endless money printing troubled him. Quote, 
With the money printing, I found that I don't agree at all with fiat money and believe that Bitcoin should be the global reserve currency and a store of value. A studious and curious mind, Schmidt bored back down the BTC mining rabbit hole, building upon the foundations of knowledge he had excavated seven years prior. He learned about ASICs, ant miners, and all the other things that happened in the last years in the Bitcoin mining space before having a eureka moment. Quote, it makes much more sense to replace a resistive heater like a space heater with a Bitcoin miner as both of them will turn electricity into heat while the Bitcoin miner also generates Bitcoin. As Schmidt was working in an office at the time, he bought an S9 from a friend and used the S9 miner instead of a space heater to heat my office, which worked perfectly. Schmidt has discovered a winning combination. He could store, or sorry, he could solve valid Bitcoin blocks and reap the rewards while keeping his workings and living space nice and warm. Office work aside, Schmidt also enjoys traveling across America, often, is an, often in his American-style camper van, an Airstream. So when, during Schmidt's next trip with his Airstream, the heating unit suffered intermittent problems, Schmidt thought he could use the S9 heater also to heat the Airstream as a fallback solution. They say necessity is the mother of invention, so Schmidt started to think about how I could, or he could, build the system. Space is at a premium in an Airstream, and if the S9 were to be placed inside the camper, it would likely overheat the Airstream. Quote, so I came up with the idea to keep it in a box outside and route the warm air into the Airstream. After a series of iterations and a few superficial burns, a short circuit, and one day in which the Airstream's ambient temperature rivaled a Scandinavian sauna, quote, I got the Airstream inside temperature to 90 degrees F during one day as the heater was running well, while it shouldn't. Uh, Schmidt finally has cracked it. The caravan was kept warm while mining Bitcoin, powered by solar panels on the roof, and free campsite electricity negating the need for burning propane gas. Schmidt adds that, quote, we have quite a small airstream. It's only 22 feet long. Bigger RVs have much bigger propane heating systems and would pay much more for the pro propane. They could also run an S9, of course. But why go to all the effort equipping an RV with a Bitcoin miner? Why not, to f why not just try to fix the propane heating issue itself? Granted, it's a cool Bitcoin side project. However, not only has it solved the intermittent heating issues, but Schmidt saves around 50% of the propane cost, which is around $2.7 a day. And at current estimates, he generates 0 0.0000625 BTC per day. All in, Schmidt and his fiance technically heat the Airstream for free, all while securing the Bitcoin network. Schmidt shared a message with, to any other aspiring miners, quote, I really encourage anybody to play with home mining. I truly believe that one of the most important things about Bitcoin is the decentralization of not only the coin, but also the mining infrastructure, end quote. In a word of encouragement, he concludes the more home mining setups that are out there, the better. All right, I just have to do this one because I was a big I was a big P2P fan uh, back in the days of Napster uh, before uh, Lars Ulrich put on a suit and cried in front of Congress. Uh, Prescient Jaw is going to tell us about LimeWire from Coin Telegraph. If you don't remember LimeWire, 
you may not get some of this, uh, but if you do remember the old P2P days, this is going to be a laugh. LimeWire makes a comeback after a decade with an NFT marketplace. <laughs> right at the, And they're doing this, by the way, right at the time that uh, Google searches for NFTs are falling off of a cliff. So good timing here. LimeWire, a popular peer-to-peer file-sharing website from the early 2000s that went defunct in 2010, is making a re-entry in the market with a digital collectible marketplace at the hands of its new owners. In an official announcement on Wednesday, the platform revealed its plans to launch launch a non-fungible token marketplace based on art and the music industry. The NFT marketplace is expected to launch in May, and an official NFT with a token reward system is due later on this year. The marketplace will be fully curated and is launching with major artist partnerships from the music industry. LimeWire is also partnered with Algorand for cost and energy efficient minting. Brothers Paul and Julian Zetemeyera, or however you pronounce it, bought the rights to the company with hopes of reviving the brand in the Web3 era. Given LimeWire's connection with music, it used to be primarily used for downloading pirated songs, uh, the new era for the brand will be focused on supporting artists and the music industry. The CEO brothers addressed the controversial past of the platform and claimed it was one of the key reasons for them to revive the brand and support true artists and their content. Quote, LimeWire is returning as a platform for artists, not against them. On LimeWire, the majority of the revenue will go directly to the artist and we will be working with creators to allow full flexibility, ownership, and control when it comes to their content, end quote, said Julian. LimeWire's controversial past has been the reason for several lawsuits from music labels and the founder of the platform, Mark Gorton, agreed to pay $105 million as a penalty to record labels for copyright infringement in May back in 2011. The CEOs of the firm stress that the launch, or rather relaunch, is focused on making making things right and building a digital collectible marketplace for the music community. This is going to end poorly, ladies and gentlemen. This will probably be the only time that you hear of LimeWire, okay? I'm just making the prediction. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I reserve the right to be wrong, but... I think this is going to be the very last time you hear about this because this is going fucking nowhere. BitMEX uh, co-founder, BitMEX co-founder pleads guilty to violating the Bank Secrecy Act. Scott Cipollina decrypt. Samuel Reed, one of the three BitMEX co-founders, including Arthur Hayes and Benjamin, Benjamin Adello, has pleaded guilty to violating the United States Bank Secrecy Act. The BitMEX co-founder pled guilty to one count of violating the Bank Secrecy Act, which means he is now facing a maximum sentence of five years in prison. Quote, Samuel Reed has now joined his co-founders, Arthur Hayes and Benjamin Dello, in admitting that they caused BitMEX to commit criminal violations of the anti-money laundering laws that govern financial institutions operating inside of the United States, U.S. Attorney Damian Williams said in a prepared statement. The news comes just a few weeks after Hayes and Dello also pleaded guilty to Bank Secrecy Act violations. Quote, As today's guilty plea reflects, this office will not permit cryptocurrency exchanges to operate as a shadow financial system that enables criminal actors to move their illicit proceeds without detection and will vigorously investigate and prosecute the operators of such exchanges who deliberately flout U.S. law, said Williams. 
Today's news builds on a February press release published by the Department of Justice, which said Hayes and Dello willfully failed to establish and maintain an anti-money laundering program at BitMEX. According to today's DOJ press release, which references the Reed indictment, court filings and statements made in court, Reed was one of the three co-founders during a time when BitMEX had U.S.-based operations and served thousands of United States customers. This, however, occurred notwithstanding false representations to the contrary by the company, the DOJ said. Quote, Reed willfully caused BitMEX to fail to establish and maintain an AML program, including a program for verifying the identity of BitMEX's customers, the press release continued. This, in turn, resulted in BitMEX becoming, in effect, a money laundering platform. The DOJ also highlighted that in May of 2018, Reed was notified of allegations that BitMEX was being used to launder the proceeds of a cryptocurrency-related hack. Neither Reed nor BitMEX filed a suspicious activity report thereafter. What's more, Reed also, quote, knew that BitMEX's purported withdrawal from the U.S. market in or about September 2015 was a sham, the DOJ added. So there you go, third and final guy pleads guilty to violating, I don't know, some old lady in the United States. This won't end, but it is, in the short term, here's what you do. You get your shit off of exchanges and you stop using them. Stop trading Bitcoin. Honestly, just stop trading all of this crap because it's not going to do anything but get you hurt. Second, as long as your coins, no matter what they are, whether they're Bitcoin or any of the shit coins, if they're on an exchange, they're not yours. You have a claim to them, that is it. But if you've transferred your coins from your private keys to the private keys of Kraken, Kraken owns your coins. You have a claim on them, but that is only enforced by legalities. And at this point, all exchanges across the world are, on, in my opinion, in jeopardy of having the same kind of shit happen to them. And even if they come into full compliance, you still only have a claim on that Bitcoin. If it's not your keys, they're not your coins. It's one of the things from Andreas Antonopoulos that I really respect him saying. Some of the other things, not so much, but that one, yeah, that one he's definitely 100% correct about. Now, let's see. A new startup, Coin Homes, lets you buy homes for Bitcoin. Uh, this is, let's see, make sure I didn't do this. Okay, yeah, uh, this is another one. This is a, more and more people are getting into the real estate uh, space for, for Bitcoin. Bitcoinnews.com has this one. It's, is it written by anybody? No, let me see, go to the bottom. Nope, anyway. Uh, exclusive, Coin Homes is a new Bitcoin-only startup aiming to disrupt the mortgage industry. Headquartered in New York City, Coin Homes allows anyone in the U.S. to buy a home by leveraging their Bitcoin. The new venture recently raised $20 million of capital and will leave stealth mode in coming weeks. And for the first time, the founders, Arvin Bangu and Tamir Sajid, said or speak to the media at the Unconfiscatable Conference to share their story. And you can watch it below and they provide a video. Um, as the United States is undergoing the worst inflation of the dollar in the last 40 years, land and real estate have been in high demand. To own a home rather than to rent, it is an important decision in these times. Bitcoin lending services have already existed for some years, but purchasing real estate with Bitcoin is not an easy task yet. Coin Homes wants to disrupt the legacy mortgage industry with an innovative new Bitcoin service. So there you go. There's a little bit more stuff to it, but honestly, I think we should we should wait and see. 
unlike the LimeWire story, you probably are going to hear more about this company and a whole bunch of other companies coming into the space because again, edge effect. This is where Bitcoin as a protocol, as a, as a thing that's walking around out there is starting to bump up against legacy financial. You're going to find people who, are, who speak Bitcoin and speak mortgage lending, and they're going to combine those two things and they're gonna sit on the edge between Bitcoin and home lending. And they're gonna provide a service and they're going to take a fee for that service and they're going to support their families with that fee and they're going to support other families by allowing them to leverage the Bitcoin that they do hold and they don't really want to sell to be able to buy a home. The question will always be this. Are they snakes in the grass? Are they going to, to offer escrow insofar as like a true escrow where you can't move the shit, I can't move the shit? Are we working with, you know, unchained capital down in Austin to have a multi-sig wallet with arbitration in case something goes south so that somebody can't just abscond with a Bitcoin? If that is not in place, do not use that lending service, whether it's this one or any other one, because you don't want to get into any of that shit. If they're not your keys, they're not your coins. In the case of multi-sig, if you're not part of a quorum that controls the keys, then you have zero say in what happens to those coins. If there's not a quorum, then your lending is not secured because you need to, if you're gonna do trust in this fashion, you're gonna need to trust a couple of parties and one of those parties is gonna have to be an arbitrage party that has no, that doesn't give a shit about you, but also doesn't give this, the same amount of shit about the company that they're working with. And if we do that, then I think we can have safe and secure home lending against Bitcoin, but only then. That's gonna do it for the morning roundup. Thursday, uh, probably won't be able to do a show tomorrow. Um, I've got a conflict with uh, scheduling. So I, if I do, it'll be much later in the day, but I would not be looking, uh, looking for it. Also, this coming week is spring break. So sometime around Wednesday, I think I'm taking off uh, to go hang out with the kids and bring them somewhere, you know, take them somewhere fun a few times. Uh, so I probably won't be doing any shows from Wednesday until the following Monday. Um, I'll probably get one done that, that Monday. So just be aware. Now, joke time. Dad says jokes. I asked my wife what she wanted for her birthday and she replied, nothing would make me happier than a diamond necklace. So I bought her nothing. Honestly, I don't see, I, I, I really just don't see the fascination with stones. I just don't. I see a fascination with stones if you're in like, I don't know, a commercial milling business and you're using garnets and shit to cut steel. I, that I can see. Or if you're, you know, uh, need uh, garnets and, and other industrial type diamonds to be able to, you know, I don't know, stud drilling heads to go explore for oil, I can see that. But jewelry and, and especially diamonds and shit like that, I, they don't do anything. They just sit there. I, I don't get it. If, if you understand it better than I do, please, please, uh, you know, let me know why it is that I've got this wrong. But um, 
finishing up, I will say this. If you do want to support the show, you can do it, do it through podcasting 2.0. I've been getting a whole bunch of, uh, of invoices coming through my lightning node from uh, Bitcoin 2.0. Uh, as of late, and it's really, really fun to watch. But if you, again, if you don't want to get into it, if you don't want to understand podcasting 2.0, I understand, and I got you covered. I got filthy fiat legacy financial bullshit ready for you. I got patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast. And I've got, you know, if you want to support for just one buck a month, you can do that as well. And, And by the way, the Patreon doesn't give you any perks. I, I didn't set it up that way. I set it up for people that wanted to show their support. And that's why there's not special shit if you pay a dollar versus $5 or whatever it is that you want to give. All right. But uh, your support is always appreciated. And the people that are supporting me are also always appreciated. Uh, also, tipping me, tipping, T I P P I N dot M E at Ghost of Nunya. That would be tippin.me forward slash the at symbol and ghost of Nunya, all one word. Uh, you can always pick up an invoice and throw me some sats uh, via the lightning network for the work that I do for you. All that said, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.